This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill and I'm delighted to be joined this afternoon by Joe Thomas and Gav Buckland. It has been quite the seven days for Everton as they continue their pre-season preparations with a 4-0 hammering at the hands of Minnesota United last Wednesday before bouncing back and claiming their first victory of their pre-season campaign for a 4-2 win at Blackpool at Bloomfield Road on Sunday afternoon. There's also been <clears throat> the latest in the terms of transfer talk, with Billy Gilmore, the latest name to be linked with the Blues, as Frank Lampard looks to strengthen his midfield options heading into the new season. But Joe, you're the only person to watch, well, out of us three here, to watch Everton's first three pre-season fit games in the flesh. You're obviously at the Allianz fit field last Wednesday to watch them against Minnesota United and alongside me at Bluefield Road yesterday to watch them against Blackpool. After Wednesday's results and the, the way the Blues performed in the US, it was the perfect response by Frank Lampard with the ones to Bluefield Road yesterday, wasn't it? It absolutely was. And I don't think anybody's under any illusions about what the win against Blackpool represents. Yeah, they, they're a championship side and, and they were relatively poor yesterday. Uh, and even then, they still pose a few more problems than Everton would probably like, albeit not from open play, which has been one of the big concerns, certainly against against Minnesota United. I think the problem with Minnesota United was, I mean, I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Uh, obviously, they're an MLS side that's in good form, and they are obviously about 20 games into their season. So things like fitness... Obviously, they're a much better place than Everton are. So that was always going to be a challenge for Everton to overcome. But I think everybody would have thought that Everton would have had the quality to, if not beat Minnesota United, to certainly be more competitive against them. And the reality was they were they were second best throughout that game. There's a chance it might have panned out slightly differently. Everton did start the game quite well and... and in the opening minutes, Anthony Gordon flashed the ball across the box and it just missed Calvert-Lewin and it just missed Iwobi at the back post. And you, you wonder if Everton had got an early goal against Minnesota United, whether the game could have turned out completely differently. But after they failed to do so, they were second best throughout. And I think the real worry was the way in which they, they exposed Everton down the sides. Frank Lampard is, is keen to try and play four at the back where possible. He wants to at least have that as an option. You know, we spoke at the end of last season and he spoke throughout this preseason of trying to kind of develop different tactics to the type that he used at the end of last season. He was through injury in the situation, was forced into you know a pragmatic, defensive five at the back, you know, concede possession, try and hit teams on the counter. I think Ideally, he doesn't want to do that with Everton in the long term. But we saw against Minnesota United the danger of playing four at the back because just repeatedly they got down the sides, they got behind the fullbacks. We saw that um, for a couple of the goals, including Michael Keane's own goal. Um, obviously, Michael Keane has scored a fair few own goals, it feels like, recently. But I think in his defence, you'd say, well, if you can't stop the ball being... Flat, you know, if you can't stop the, the winger or the fullback getting to the byline and flashing a ball across the face of goal six yards out, then he's always going to be put in difficult situations. So that was that was a real frustration among many frustrations, I think, from the Minnesota United game. And, and Frank Lampard after that was, was clearly concerned with what 
he'd seen, and, and I think we saw that in his post-match comments. Against Blackpool, he went back to five at the back, and Everton just looked so much stronger. And I think, I think the back five that we saw yesterday must be close to what his first choice back five would be. I think the the, the, the wing backs speak for themselves. There aren't a lot of options there. Um, obviously, there's a, a fair few centre backs he's got to choose from. But Tarkovsky walks into that side. Mina, the issue isn't his ability, the issue is his fitness. And if he's fit, I think he starts. And you, you suspect that Godfrey is probably winning the battle slightly ahead of Holgate and Keane, although it's a battle that's up for everyone to win, um, just to start alongside them. And, and for the first 45 minutes they played, that those five played together yesterday, Blackpool didn't create a threat from, from open play. They got the goal at the end. It, it came from... Came from a save from Pickford, which he should have done better with, I think. Um, and that left Gary Medine with a tap in. But Everton looked solid in that game. And I think what they also showed was that they can play five at the back and still pose an attacking threat. It doesn't have to be five at the back and defensive. Patson and Mikalenko were two of the best players on the pitch. They posed a constant threat going forward. Both of them got assists, including Patson setting up Mikalenko for the first goal. And I think that there there were positives around that, and and especially with the fact that Gray and Calvert Lewin weren't around them and still looked at an attacking threat going forward, albeit against a, a poor Championship side. So, you know, Frank was quite level-headed after clear that he's not going to take too much from from what he saw yesterday. He's not going to think that Everton had a finished product from that. I think everybody understands that they still need new signings and they still need a lot of work to do on the training ground. But it was as good a response as he probably could have hoped for uh, following the, the defeats against Arsenal and then particularly the defeat against Minnesota United. Dave, in terms of, you know, the Minnesota game, before we look at Blackpool, Frank Lampard's comments afterwards were quite telling me, you know, used the, the word relegation. He was pretty damning in his verdict and, yeah. and it was fair to say he wasn't happy with what he, what he saw. And I suppose, in a way, that was, it's good to see him because, you know, he's clearly got high standards Frank Lampard and he expects a lot from his players and, if that's not there, he's not scared of, of calling them out and, and telling them some home truths. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the other angle as well is, do you really want to start off on pre-season when you're trying to build morale and team ethic and stuff? You know, be, you know, being publicly, you know, negative. There's, there's, there's two sides of that coin, isn't it? I, I suspect at the moment that he's probably a bit more frustrated bit like fans about stuff off the pitch in terms of last lack of transfer activity and that's hindering that's hindering um on field progress. I and I think there's there's a lesson from history here. Connor I think is in ninety four and ninety eight where he survived on the the back of the you know last day of the season. In 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 the following campaigns, ninety four, ninety five, they were bottom of the table after 13, 14 games. 98, 99, he relied on Kevin Campbell's late flurry of goals, probably, to stay up. So there was no, in both of those campaigns, there was no natural, like, progression upwards because you're obviously left with the team that's, you know, um, below the standards you would expect. And I think that's where Frank's coming from, isn't he? What he's saying is just we've got the same players as last season and we survived by the skin of our teeth. Unless you make some big change, you're not big changes, bring a few players in, then it's probably going to be a di- same story. 
So um, I, I get where he's coming from. Whether he should have expressed it publicly, I'm not sure. Um, but hopefully, between now and the end of the transfer window, we can get we can get you know a few a few through the door. Albeit that's difficult for a number of reasons. Uh, but at the same time, and Joe had your piece with Paul Clement, which I thought was very good. You can obviously say there's a lot, and this is where I take confidence really compared to last year. A lot more work and understanding of what they need to do behind the scenes um, for this coming campaign in terms of changing the shape and style of the team. So you won't see the Everton that you saw at the end of the last campaign. But yeah, I think Frank, a few times has spoken a few home truths, hasn't he? At the end of last season, he did on a number of occasions. Um, whether he's like to do it on a pre season tour, 50 50 one for me. Um, but hopefully, we can get a few players in so we can. You know, he doesn't have to say that in the future. I suppose, though, Joe, in terms of, you know, what we've seen so far from Everton, I think you can almost say it's been like the good, the bad and the ugly, isn't it, in many respects? You know, and there's been there's good parts yesterday at Blackpool, you know, some pretty ugly parts against Minnesota, and, you know, they were kind of bad in terms of attacking play against Arsenal. It, it's kind of, it, what Gav said there, it kind of carries on that familiar theme from last season, doesn't it, in terms of not really knowing what to expect and, and not really going into games with a clear idea of what what's to come from Everton. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that has come from the experimentation that you expect within pre-season, and I think part of that has come from, you know, I do think it's a significant mitigating factor that Arsenal have played a couple more games there than before their fixture. It's a genuinely fair question to ask why that was the case, but obviously when they get to that thing, when they get to that fixture, the fact that Arsenal probably got... 180 minutes in their tank as opposed to Everton who've got none I think is a difference I think that's the same against Minnesota obviously well in, into their season you know I think that probably where they're at I, I don't think Frank had a choice other than to come out like he did after the Minnesota United game obviously he probably doesn't you know in an ideal world nobody wants to be talking like that at this stage but the performance was so bad that it needed to be acknowledged. I think. I don't think if he'd have said if he'd have said nothing, then I think everybody would have said, "Well, why is he not saying anything?" There's no way he could have glazed over that performance. Um, and I think it was, you know, perhaps she bears similarity to the aftermath of the Crystal Palace game in the FA Cup, where it shows that Lampard. Lots been made of the connection he builds with the players and the psychological impact that he has and the role he plays, the supportive role that he plays in their development. But clearly, he's willing to, you know, to to call them out when he thinks that they need to that needs to be done. And I think that probably did need to be done after Minnesota because it was, it was just very very poor. I think that probably where Everton are at the minute is, and I think. You know, I myself might have been guilty a little bit of, of this approach. Is I felt that by the end of last season, things had just got so bad that Evan just needed to get out of that season in the Premier League. Whatever it took, they needed to be to get out, needed to survive, and then just have the summer break. Because for all of the difficulties last season, some of them were outside Everton's control. They were really hard done by with injuries. There were several really unfortunate decisions at key moments in games and key moments in the season. And I think that 
I probably went into this summer thinking that, albeit they had a a horrible relegation battle last season, that the squad that they've got there is probably better than where it finished last season. And I think that with a little bit of a of a break both physically and mentally for those players just to get themselves out of that situation to freshen up then they might almost automatically be better just by having the break and, and come back and perform better and, and obviously we're still so early into pre-season that that might be the case but I think the worrying signs from Arsenal and from Minnesota United was there wasn't that automatic improvement and again that might have been because of you know, early stages of fitness and it might have been because of the degree of experimentation in the sides but there wasn't that clear uplift just by virtue of having a break. And I think that's probably the concern that we all have going into, into the coming season as it stands. I think, you know, Frank Lampard has been clear that he, and he's becoming increasingly clear that he needs new signings to freshen up. His words against Minnesota were clear, obviously, particularly going forward with the loss of, of Richarlison. I think where I take some solace from is is the fact that having you know gav referenced the the paul clement article having spoke with him in america and also having spoken with frank and also having spoken with chris jones who's another key member of the backroom staff i don't think there's any doubt that those behind the scenes at everton certainly at finch farm i don't think there's any doubt that they understand the situation that the club is in and the situation that the squad is in and what needs to be done to make it better I think they're actually on the same wavelength as, as, as a lot of fans. The, the question is what's possible in terms of improvements. I think that there's a coaching team there that knows what needs to be done to take Everton forward, both in terms of transfers and both in terms of training. Um, it just depends how much support and how much resources they're given in, in, to be able to kind of address that. And obviously we know the situation in relation to transfers or we have an understanding in relation to the financial aspect of transfers. We don't, if we're honest, no one outside the select few who are involved in it really know how limited Everton are financially at the moment as a result of the the, the you know the profit and sustainability regulations. It's a difficult one looking at the transfer market at the minute because I can understand why people might be a little bit concerned at the lack of activity so far. It's it's hard to understand because obviously. So it's hard to interpret because one of the big problems and one of the reasons Everton are in the mess is by spending too much money and being too gung-ho in the transfer market. So on the one hand, you could argue that the lack of science so far might be a case of lessons learned and a more sensible approach. And okay, that might mean getting players in later, but if it means that Everton still get the players and they get them in on their terms, then that's not a bad thing. What we don't know, I suppose, is, is whether the the delays at the minute or the time that it's taken to get deals over the line is whether it's a case of due diligence and sensible work from Kevin Farwell and the team around him or whether it's a case of their hands are tied by financial regulations and actually they're there just buying the scraps and they're, from, you know, they're negotiating from a position of weakness. Hopefully it's, the, hopefully it's the former and it's just a case of they have a very, very clear idea of who they want and they're working very hard to get them and they're not being sidetracked by other people that come around. They're not being sidetracked by agents. I don't think the while Jesse Lingard would arguably improve Everton's side, I don't think that's a deal that we should be too disappointed that 
to have missed out on if indeed we ultimately missed out on him. I mean, the money that he's getting paid at, or reportedly getting paid at Nottingham Forest is, is, is so substantial um, that you think that Everton surely wouldn't want to commit to that, especially given you know the circumstances that they found themselves in over recent years. Meanwhile, I think another issue that's worth bearing in mind, and I'm not saying this is an ideal position, is a lot of the, a lot of the solutions to where Everton are at the moment, a lot of the in the transfer market, a lot of the players that you think would be obvious fits and improvements on the squad are still available. I think, okay, they don't take much imagination, but Brozier would be, I think, I just think would be a very good signing for Everton. Brozier on loan, particularly. Um, West Ham, who seem to be the other team in the race for him, have moved on and have signed another striker. So Brozier's still available and might still come potentially, um, or you see still at least on the card. They haven't, haven't missed out on him by virtue of not having acted yet. The same with Corne. Um, you know, apparently he's got the £17.5 million release clause. Well, no one else has met it yet. So the fact that Everton haven't met it doesn't ne- shouldn't necessarily ring alarm bells. Um, if they get to the end of the season and they haven't strengthened at all and you look at that and you think, why haven't they gone for Corne when there's an easy solution at a relatively decent price variable, then we perhaps raise alarm bells. But he's still there. He's still there waiting. So maybe it is a case of, and Burnley will want to sell him because they need the money and Corne surely doesn't want to come into the, you know, playing the championship. You, know, you look at Gilmore, Gilmore's still there. It's um, Chelsea. Obviously you can only loan, I think you can only loan one player from from another premiership club. So it would be a case of Gilmore or Brozier. But there is a solution to a problem that still exists there, despite the fact that Everton are, you know, well into the transfer window. And even Morgan Gibbs-White, you know, wherever that goes, again, he's still there. So I don't think, the although it's been slow so far, I don't think it's out of the question that Everton will... It doesn't, it doesn't mean Everton are going to have a bad transfer window, necessarily. They, they, they could do. We don't know... We don't know the factors that are delaying these 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 options, but a lot of easy solutions are still on the table. And I think there's a coaching team and a team at Finch Farm there that know what needs doing and know how to do it. The, the question that we probably need to try and get to the bottom of is is why those deals haven't done been done so far. In this case, is it a case? Is it a good sign? And it's 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 maturity in the transfer market. It's due diligence. It's not being willing to pay whatever somebody says. Or is it because the hands are tied financially? Uh, we'll probably find that out in the next few weeks. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gavin, same job, you know, yesterday in, in the, the fourth with Joe, you know, Blackpool. One man got two goals. He endures it. I think it's safe to say a frustrating time since he joined the club last January. Bivin in different pre-season as well. Before yesterday, I think, you know, Arsenal was pretty anonymous and, you know, obviously Minnesota, if you remember, for the miss, which I think, you know, all three of us would have scored. But it was good to see Delhi. Yeah, I think, I think by by what people say, he's, he's, he looks pretty fit when he came back. I think he, um, I think Delhi, you know, I love Delhi Ali at Spurs. And, and people criticise him for not being interested and looking lackadaisical, but by and large, he's always been like that, hasn't he? Yeah. He's not going to run a game for you. He's not going to see a lot of the ball. He is a player of moments, isn't he? Of 
of um, moments inside the opposition box and 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 doing something, you know that doing something that may be unexpected. So I'm not particularly worried about that aspect because that's what he was like at Spurs and that's what he was like for England. The problem is at Everton, you can get away, you can get away with it at Spurs because you play with Harry Kane and you're playing with Christian Eriksen and top class players and also for England. At Everton, it's a slightly <laughs> different story, isn't it? Where you, you could turn around and say, well, we can't afford to have a player like that in the team week in, week out because we need everybody to be 100% committed and, and on it and, you know, being actively involved in the game because we just haven't not, not got the quality of, say, spares under Pochettino. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a funny one, isn't it, really? Dali Ali is... is I'm not worried about it, what people say about him, because he's always been like that. But at the same time, can we afford him? And also as well, the thing with Ali's got this like 10 million quid, which is 20 games, is it? I'm not sure what he's, he's racked up uh, so far against that. Um, so in, in our talk about transfer fees, we were talking about fees for, you know, uh, you know 20 million quid for Brozier or... You know, uh, Gibbs White uh, is. You've also got a ten million commitment there for Dali Ali, haven't you? At some point, so you know you've got you've got to factor that into it. Um, so he's not here and as a fully paid up member of the team as yet. So I think that's another interesting angle that is going to impact our transfer dealings, isn't it? Really, that one of the transfers the club will be making will be Dali Ali, and. You know, and, and Joe was talking about financial constraints, of which I'm sure there are, both in terms of cash spent and cash in the club and what we can spend. But that's a commitment, isn't it? You know, so we could say that Deli, if Deli Ali's here at the start of the season, the assumption is he's going to be there then for this season. And so he's at £10 million we've got to find. You know, that could have, you know, that he could be spending on someone else. So I think we need to remember that aspect when you remember about our, you know, our lack of transfer activity as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Dali Ali. I'd like, you know, nothing would please me more than seeing him playing for Everton, having a great season and, and doing what he did for Spurs and doing what he did yesterday because there's not many players like him, is there? There's very few players like him who can do that. And hopefully we can create a, create a system that gets the best out of him because... A fully fit and fire and Dali Ali's focused is he, he gets into the team, doesn't he? You would think. Do you think Gav as well in terms of, you know, you say they're fully fit and firing down Dali Ali? He could almost be the missing spark, couldn't he? Whatever that in terms of creativity, being able to do something else or nothing. No, I know I saw someone about him a while ago when he joined Everton and he was saying his running style often leads to criticism because he doesn't were in a very energetic way <laughs> was was the way it was yeah, put. Yeah. He has got that bit that quality in his locker as he has got that you know ability to do something else and often and produce when it matters most and that's almost whatever to be missed, isn't it? You know, that's someone in midfield who can pull the strings and have that bit of creativity and that bit of class. Yeah, absolutely. I mean you I mean what did Richarlison score for us a season? Ten to twelve goals in the Premier League? Yeah, ten to fifteen. Ali Ali's capable of that if he played to his potential all season for us, surely. They easily do that. Um, so, yeah, I, 
I just hope that we can we can get a system that gets him in the team. And, you know, he gets the benefit and the team gets the benefit of it. What that system is, of course, is a completely different question. You know, we've spoken before, is it 4 4 one where he plays off the striker or would you play 4-3-3 and push him up wide a little bit, maybe, or play, play him in, the, in a 4-3-3, play him in the middle? But as a sort of further up number eight. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's the other conundrum. But yeah, I, I, I really like Ali Ali and I hope he has a great season for us. Um, but you've got to remember that we've got to pay 10 million quid for us when we're talking about our lack of transfer activity. Joe, another player who impressed yesterday against Blackpool and I actually thought was, was Evans man of the match because he was superb down the right. He's one of Evans fans I haven't seen a lot of Andrew Twindry and another circumstance. That was Nathan Patterson. He, he really, you know, really impressed the right wing back, you know, got forward, created a claim to assists, bundles of energy. And he offered Everton a real in, glimpse, didn't he, of what he could offer moving forward and, and and perhaps why the club, you know, went back in for him in January after missing out on him last summer. Absolutely. Um, you know, he was probably Everton's best player against Blackpool. And, you know, we really saw some of what he can offer going forward, which he hadn't done so yet. Obviously, injury blighted the start of his Everton career, albeit there were a few games when he was available and it was slightly... Um, it was slightly unclear why he didn't get an opportunity because it felt like Everton could do with fresh legs at, at right back or right wing back. But obviously he impressed for Scotland, and, but then got injured just as I think Frank was about to give him an opportunity in the first team. He he was okay in America, but like well, like pretty much everybody else, perhaps with the exception of of, of, of Tarkovsky and and maybe Gordon. Um, you know, most most players struggled in the two games in, in America, and I, I think there were a few concerns there. And obviously, when they started the four back against four the back against Minnesota, it, it didn't work. But I suppose it didn't work for a number of reasons. Um, you know, Patterson starting yesterday, he, he, I mean, he really was excellent. Like he ran the show down the right. He, what was probably really good sign was the fact that he made such good use of the time and space that he had on the ball going forward. Yeah, it wasn't that he would, for instance, get in space, carry the ball forty yards, and then then fluff across or lose possession, try and beat a man when he couldn't do so. He made a lot of sensible decisions. He was making the right decisions at the right times, so as well as being aggressive and showing that attacking intent that we all we all hope to see from him. You know, he had genuine end product. Um, you know, his, his ball to Mikalenko for the first goal was inch perfect. He, he put another ball into the box shortly after the the. Came very close to finding Deli Alley. Um, obviously, he then got assist and assisting. You know, as a, he spotted Deli Alley's late run into the box and, and found him with a near post for for, for Everton's fourth. I think that you know, there's a lot of promise there. A lot of promise. Everton clearly need someone that can can do that on the right. Alex Wobie did a good job last season, but you know, Everton are a team that are short of attacking options at the minute, and I think Alex Wobie can play a role in a more natural forward position for, for Everton this season. We know we've got Seamus Coleman, um, but I think he's probably in a situation now where he's going to be used sparingly because of injuries and where he is used, it'll probably be on the right side of, of, of a centre-back three when there's five at the back as he was so effective at last season. 
Um, and there is also, I suppose, a bit of competition from Stanley Mills, who the moment of the tour is still early doors, but the talk is at the moment he might stay around the, the first team squad this season. He's had a real and really impressive rise in a really short period of time. He wasn't initially going to go to America, but he um, he impressed in the early preseason trains and got to the point where, where Frank just didn't feel like he could leave him. Uh, and he, he played well in the minutes that he, he did get in, in, in the US as well. And obviously he played, played yesterday as well. But you know, Everton needs strength down the right. And I think Patterson is someone that can provide that. He's still, he's, you know, it's going to take a while to learn for him. I think fullback or wingback is one of the most difficult positions to come into the Premier League and learn at because you have to do so much. You have to get up and down. You have to attack and defend. You have to be able to read the game so well. Um, you know, time after time, we've seen players who've turned out to be exceptional fullbacks turn up at Premier League side in January, struggle for four months, and then only later in their careers. Do I think Patrice Everett did that for, for Man United? I think he came in January, January transfer window. You know, founded for four months, and then obviously turned into you know a, a world class uh, performer in, in that position. I think Patterson's got a lot to offer. He's got pace, got end product. He's got confidence, as we saw yesterday. And whilst I think he's probably got a lot to learn, again, going back to what Everton have got coaching-wise, you know, Everton in the, you know, at Finch Farm on a day-to-day basis, Nathan Patterson, it's the same for Stanley Mills, same for Mikolenko. Um, you know, they're walking into a, a training complex where in Ashley Cole, they've probably got the best left-back of the Premier League era. Um, so you know he you know, probably the best left back in the world during his playing career. They got Leighton Baines, who again is you know one of the best left backs of recent Premier League times, just there at Finch Farm as well in the academy setup. And they've got Seamus Coleman uh, in training <laughs> alongside them as, as club captain. You know, I, I don't think that there could be a better. I don't think it could be a better team around a fullback or a young wingback um, you know, to give them the best chance of, of, of success. So hopefully, what we'll see from Patterson this season is, you know, there's a spot for him there on the right. Hopefully, he'll make it his own. Hopefully, he'll develop and and produce performances like he did against Blackpool yesterday. And if he can do that, if he's if he's willing to exploit the space and he can find an end product. I mean, yesterday Everton was so threatening with him crossing the ball in, and he didn't really. I mean, Rondon wasn't getting on the end of them. Uh, you know, Rondon was, I suppose, dropping deep more often. But, you know, when he's picking out Ali and Mikalenka, who aren't the biggest in the box, just imagine how much of a threat that would be if he's got a fully fit Calvert-Lewin making those runs and, and, and to aim at. So that's a real positive. And I think, you know, I mentioned this in the match verdict after, and it's a bit of a cliche. It, 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 I got called out a little bit for this on Twitter, and it, and it is true. But, you know, while we're all looking for summer transfers, Yesterday was a win that was very much built on the January transfers. Uh, you know, Deli Ali got two goals, Mikalenko got a goal and assist, Nathan Patterson got two assists. You know, maybe we shouldn't necessarily see them as, as new signings as such, but they are players who are having their first pre-seasons at, at Goodison Park and who could essentially breathe, you know, a little bit of, of, of fresh energy and, and life into that side. Uh, compared to where it was, you know, at the, at the nadir that was last season. So, yeah, those 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 players showing up and, and performing isn't going to be the difference between Everton having a great season, a terrible season. It might be the difference between Everton having a terrible season and a, a solid mid-table season or a season where they avoid relegation. You know, I'm not saying that 
um, and don't need recruitment. So I don't think anybody at the club is saying that, but you know, Patterson, chief among them, but also the development of Mikolenko and the potential, you know, the, the signs of potential shown by Ali yesterday, they do offer a little bit of hope for you know, progression from where we were at the back end of last season going into this one. Gav, in terms of transfer talk, and there's been plenty of it uh, around Everton in, in recent weeks, has there been as there, as there has been since the, the end of the season? But the latest name to be linked with the Blues is Billy Gilmore, someone who Frank Lampard knows well from his time at Chelsea. Someone who I think it's safe to say suffered a, a rather frustrating and, and counterproductive time at Norwich last season in terms of his playing time and the fact that the Canaries were relegated, etc. But someone younger, someone who can, you know, add a bit of energy and be a bit more dynamic and Everton's field and midfield what we've seen in recent years. Is, is that a transfer that perhaps you know, excites you and fills you with a bit of confidence that you can come in and, and improve the boot moving forward? Certainly in a in a part of the pitch we need to improvements, isn't it? And legs. Um so yeah to a degree. It also depends on fees as well, doesn't it, Connie, you know, and that that's the thing. Um yeah, I, yeah, I don't mind Gilmore. Say not exactly the best move last season, was it, in the great scheme of things? But depends on the fee. And it depends all you know it, you've got to look at the overall transfer stats. You say if Gilmore is part of like a two or three or four player package transfer um, you know, a number of transfers, then that 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 sort of means you, you know, get somebody in midfield, get them attacking an attacking midfielder, get somebody as a reserve striker or somebody to play across the, the three three up front, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, would be somebody probably in that area that you'd, you'd certainly look at. But it's that has to only work to me if it's part of a wider strategy that addresses other, other weaknesses. And um, yeah, it, and they say, you know, who's and doesn't he? Which always helps. Um, which was always want to go, it was going to be one of Frank's tick boxes, wasn't he? When he got the Everton job, is that he knows a lot of Chelsea players and the cad players from the academy there. So, yeah, seeing an area of pitch that we, we um, need to strengthen in, you know, I think it would be, you know, it would some, be something that I'd, uh, I wouldn't say no to. Joe, are you on the same page as Travis? Is Bill Mossman a player you wouldn't say no to? Yeah, absolutely. I think Everton need more options in, in the centre of midfield. Gilmore is a move that might suit him and Gilmore to Everton might suit both ends. You know, I think he's a player in need of first team minutes and possibly in the need of a bit of confidence. Lampard's the man who gave him his senior debut and, and might be the person to, to instill that in him. So I think that, you know, I think one of the concerns was you look at you look at the squad that Everton put out yesterday, and whilst you know, there, there is genuine excitement and with reason for some of the, the academy prospects that are coming through the system, and it could be a really positive year um, and an opportunity for some of them. When you look at players that you would consider typical first-team options, you know, Everton probably not far off you know, the limit when it comes to, to, to getting a squad of, you know, 16 plus to first team players. Like, you know, 
they don't have that much strength in depth. And especially when you look at you know what's some of what's been interesting, there was no Jean Philippe Gabamin yesterday in the squad. Uh, and there was no explanation as to why. There's no Andrew Gomez. I don't think he's played a minute of preseason so far, and he's been involved in training. There's not been mentioned that he's been injured. Um, so you wonder what the situation with with those players are, and if they're two midfielders that are you know essentially not fancied, which I don't think would necessarily come as a surprise, then you're in a position where Everton almost just need options they almost just need legs because you know it's going to be a difficult season this season with the five substitutes um coming in you know especially when they're playing against sides that are you know there are a lot of sides with very big squads now and will have the capability to completely turn things around on 60 minutes and then if they're still struggling turn things around again on 80 minutes with, with more options you know so i think that's Someone like Gilmore, even if he's not necessarily going to be starting every every game, just having the option of him to come off the bench, someone with a bit of Premier League experience and someone who has got a bit of quality, you know, might be useful. I think that if it came down to could you get Gilmore on loan or Brozier on loan from Chelsea, I'd probably be more tempted to go for Brozier. Um, you know, I think whilst Evan do do have issues in centre midfield. I think you know, they clearly also have issues up top as well. And I think Brozier will probably bring more options and have has more potential to have a greater impact on on matches than, than Fred Gilmore. But Gilmore's obviously got a lot of quality and you know he is someone that would strengthen that squad. So if he was to come in then you know, like like Gav says, if he ends up being the only player that comes in between now and in the end of the transfer window, then you would have to think that Everton have come up short of where they would want to be in terms of recruitment this summer. If he's one of a number of signings, then as part of the package, you could see how he could you know, definitely improve and help take Everton forward. Gents, just we are pushed for time, so just a quick one-way answer, I would say, on this one. But another rumour that emerged late last week and one that seems to be going around for absolute yonks. Ross Barkley, linked to the potential return to Everton. Gav, yes or no to the return of Ross? No. Okay. Joe? No. Well, that's, that's Ross Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> Connor, what would you say? I will say no as well. I think it's Connor, just before before we go, just to say I was on mute before when you said none of us would have missed that Deli Alley chance and you missed me saying you didn't see me on Saturday. I'm perfectly <laughs> capable of missing a chance like Deli Alley. Oh, well, uh, well, must happen to the best then, Gav. Must happen to the best, mate. Must yeah, you've got to be joking. <laughs> 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 I tell you why. Just to go, I'm sure it's one of the lads after I played on Saturday. First winning 14 games of football on Saturday. Right, gents, we will leave things there. We will be back towards the end of the week to review the latest Everton news. And of course, we'll be back next week to look back on Everton's final pre-season clash, which sees them face Dan Wookie at Goodison Park on Friday night. But Joe, Gav, for this afternoon, thank you very much for joining me. You'll be listening to the Roby Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.